This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. And hello, everybody. This is Tony. Welcome to Educational Triage. And we are also joined with our fan favorite, Philip. Hey, Philip. Aloha. And Philip. We are talking about something fascinating and intriguing, and it's something that people like to talk about, but then they kind of let it go, but then they talk about it some more. And I keep hearing, and they keep saying, hey, why don't why, why don't schools start X, Y, and Z? And that is- I got a good education. idea. <laughs> they say, I got a good idea. Why don't they do this? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that we've talked a lot about the enjoyment of- community in the schools. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens with vocational education as we are going to be looking at it today and looking at how well we, not we, but how well different communities have been able to build successful programs in schools. And if not communities, Right. Then within themselves of um, voguet and what some of the uh, attributes are and also what some of the end results are. So should yeah, we tuck in and get going? Yeah, yeah, we should. Let's do it. Okay. So first of all, what is vocational ed? I didn't what have vocational it? ed in any of my schools um, growing up. I think... At least not at the secondary level. Okay, shop. Tell me more. Well, I remember in our junior high, we had shop, of which I did not take it. But there was metal shop and there was Mm -hmm. uh, wood shop. Uh, Was there auto? There was not. I was going to say, take that back. There was auto shop and secondary. um, And it was a good one. And Mm -hmm. um, I didn't take that either, but I wish I did. Because back in the day, they were working on some pretty good cars. You know, muscle cars. And that was across the street. That was uh, back in the, my high school. And I and at the high school, um, that uh, the alternative high school I was um, associated with, they had one that's still pretty much good and around. So they have auto shops, and I guess you could call that vocational because that's is that sh- is shop shop is vocational. Yes, right. Yeah. Shop teachers of America, please say yes. Thank you. So yeah, that would be it. Um, oh shoot. Uh, would, what about uh, home ec? Culinary. Home ec would be, would that be vocational though? Why home not? Ec. Well, it, well, I it mean, gives you, it gives yeah, you an advantage be. for cooking. It would so be. So if you wanted to go into school and learn culinary how to cook. Culinary would definitely be vocational for sure. Right. Like culinary. 
because I, yeah, I did a, um, a guest gig at, um, and then we'll do one in a couple of weeks at that culinary place. And it's got a wonderful kitchen. I'm really impressed with that place. Oh, cool. But you also yeah. learned how to do sewing. Yes, which, that's right. They did that. Which is a real practical application that most people don't know how to do. Uh, it's like, well, theater. Is theater, well, like, kind of vocational? That's, okay, that's going to be, that's going to be something that's a little in the weeds. <laughs> it might be a little in the weeds, yeah. Well, Band, the reason quiet. why I say that, the performing arts, sure, there are vocational schools that will teach the performing arts. And while there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that, we see more universities and colleges starting to cut the liberal arts. Oh, yeah. Well, that's so they're starting to. Yeah. Right. And they're starting to cut out the arts programs. They're starting to cut out the English programs, theater, yeah. because they're not money makers, because people aren't going in there because the chances of them being able to leave with a, um, yeah. let's put it this way, the average salary of somebody who graduates with a liberal arts degree in, say, English or art or music yeah. theater is between thirty and 40000 a year after five years. Yeah. And yeah, somebody sad. who graduates with a more practical degree and by practical, I mean something that has an application that is readily available and useful on the business end, yeah. um, be it a vocational skill like plumbing, or maybe it is, um, oh, I'm oh, trying to business think Business accounting. Right. Uh, all of that. Yeah. Marketing. They, within first five years, they are, by in two, 2017, they were seen as making around $70,000 a year. So what that would translate out to now would probably be over a, a hundred thousand. Yeah, don't be a philosophy major. Then you'll just say, why do you want fries with that? Right. Right. <laughs> That's so wrong. It's true though. English major. <laughs> so people yeah. are I'm I mean, if your family has money, then yeah, maybe. No. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it, but um you really yeah. do want to we want our students to be successful and we want them to follow their dreams. And sometimes their dreams need to be a side gig. And I'm not trying to. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, that's true. My, yeah, my oldest son's degree was in anthropology, but he's a businessman. That's a side gig. <laughs> well, but look, yeah. I mean, Gil Gerard, who we all knew as Buck Rogers in the 21st century, yeah. back in the 70s and 80s, he was a school teacher. Aretha Franklin was a school teacher. God bless her. <laughs> and, you know, they did all these things and they became, they were able to break out, but they had a, they had their gig mm -hmm. and they knew what they were doing. And yeah. so they were just incredibly focused. They did their day job, but then they worked around doing their night job. And I know, a, I know enough theater teachers who were, who still act and they still in on stage, they do commercials, they do television, they do movies, oh, mm -hmm. but it's a side gig yeah. and it gets them where they want to be. And most of the actors I know, that's what they do. They have other things that they're engaged in, even if they are 
even if they have an arc in a TV show, they're so still is doing that their- way to get that English degree to pay off. Right. There is. And besides, right. you know, we all know that, uh, like, what do they say? 70% of the jobs that will exist in 20 years, we don't even know what they are. Mm-hmm. So vocational, we can say that vocational education it's would great. be something to do with the trades. And also something that would have a practical application so that finding a job would not be mm-hmm. iffy and having the skills would put you in a good place in order to right. find employment. And that seems to be one of the more immediate, eh, for lack of a better word, because that's not the, <laughs> that's not a good word for it, but uh, more direct ways of obtaining an, an excellent way of making a Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's not that's not new. That's been a way of making a way a quick, not quick, immediate way of living, a uh, better way of living um, for a long time. The right. trades, you know, that you, one can advocate for being an electrician, plumber, um, uh, you know, lower levels of engineering, um, uh, all kinds of different things like that. I was a paramedic, for example. Um, which was a decent living. Being a firefighter mm-hmm. is a much better living, we find out. Those of you just being a private paramedic, don't go there. I don't think you can do it anymore, but maybe. Anyway, there's better ways to do it that you don't have to have a college degree to make an excellent living as a trade. You can schedule your own on jobs. You do have to go through the business side of it, but that's okay too. Right. Right. But I don't think, I think that with a teacher shortage, you don't even have to have a college degree in order to be a teacher anymore. That's, yeah, that's also becoming something. But that's also sort of blurring a line that used to be professional versus non professional trades. Paraprofessional. Like Para, yeah. That, that's interesting too. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was talking so, about that, you know, that line, there was, for lack of a better word, white collar, blue collar. That's mm-hmm. sort of a classist way to put it, and I think it's outdated. But um, and that's been an interesting divide. We're, we were talking earlier about, say, the differences in um, blue collar, white collar. It's been sort of: have you been to college, or have you been to school, or haven't you been? Um, right. But we all know that that's blurred big time as well. Mm-hmm. But okay, now opposing vocational mm-hmm. education. We have classical education, and that would be academics and literature, yeah. the liberal arts. That would yeah. be math, science, the core requirements that we would have. But it also would include art and art appreciation. It would include foreign languages. Um, in some schools, it means Latin. It really depends on <laughs> That's pretty are. classical, yeah, certainly. It is. But it is. through no knowledge of Latin and Greek, which were pretty widespread, Mm-hmm. in schools back in the um over a hundred years ago, a little over a hundred mm-hmm. years ago. Um my grandparents' school. Yeah. Uh well, they, that's a basis for most disciplines, honestly. Exactly. Science and, and medicine, all if mm-hmm. you know Latin and Greek, then you could pretty much read all texts in all those disciplines. Understand the mm-hmm. language of those mm-hmm. If you read T. S. Eliot, many times he prefaces his poetry in Greek. Yes, there again. And and geology, all things scientific mm-hmm. based Latin and Greek. So open a right. book and it tells you, oh, that's this and this is that, all in a common language. Now, in there there's a history teacher 
at Austin College down in Texas. And she wrote a book called Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois and the Struggle Uh for Racial Uplift. But, and here it is right here, um, but she also wrote the foreword to one of the texts that was used in research for for today's episode, which is Hands-On Achievement, Massachusetts National Model Vocational Technical Schools. And she Mm. talks about the differences between W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. Uh And because one of the greatest rifts that they had between the two of them had to do with education. I can see that. Because Booker T. Washington, he grew up in poverty and there was no school for him. And he was in the South and he found a reader and he taught or a spelling book or something, and he was able to teach himself how to read. And W.B. Du Bois, he grew up in a free family in Massachusetts, and so he went to regular school with white kids, and so he had a regular education. And yes, he still had to work, but Booker T. had to work his way through life and eventually to the consequence of his struggles and achievements, he was able to get a community together to start building the Tuskegee Institute. That's true. Which is which is a major feat for somebody yeah. who didn't have formal education at a young age. He did go to college. But yeah, he, yeah, he did. He, yeah. he eventually got into the the education pipeline and became very educated himself. Right, he went to Hampton. And, yeah, he was also very innovative. You know, he used the mm-hmm. resources that he had, so he knew where he was. And went, hey, I want I right. want to bring education to the people of of, of D.C. Alabama and the areas of the South. Yeah, and he knew how to do. He right. used what he had for sure. Yeah. It was a. What he did was he brought Tuskegee, which was a model of scientific industrial education yeah, for yeah. African-Americans. Yeah. Vocational, basically. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. it, it because he believed that while you needed to have you still needed to have an education mm-hmm. where you were taught rigorous academics, you needed to have something to do mm-hmm. outside of school. And that you needed to have a practical application. Yeah. His philosophy was built on his, he gave a a famous speech in in Atlanta and he said, cast down your buckets. He kind of drew an analogy of that these people set in a ship and they thought they were cast adrift without water, (laughs) but they were actually in fresh water. When they sent for help, the message back was cast down your buckets where you are. You're in fresh water. You have water. And his message to the people of, uh, you know, Atlanta, where cast down your buckets where you are, seek where you are for your relief. Don't look anywhere else. Build your, you know, your cities, learn brick bricklaying, learn to build things, learn, learn carpentry, learn the trades, you know, don't look to the colleges right away. Don't look too far ahead. Take the jobs you can get and get good at them. And I'll teach you how to do that at Tuskegee. And W.E.D.B. Du Bois was a he was a very educated man. He was actually the first Harvard doctorate, black mm-hmm. doctorate. And so he saw much greater expansive sort of 
um, opportunity for black folks. And he said, yeah, there's a better educational opportunity that should be sought, not just where we are, but there is the open educational systems of the universities that we should seek. We should seek the professions as well as the trades. And that's where they kind of conflicted, but they, they held each other back a great deal because they argued against each other, you know, saying, you know, Booker T was sort of very favorable to the white folks. They'd say, yeah, why don't you learn the trades and kind of be satisfied with what you got? And W.E.B. Du Bois was saying, but we want to be as far as we possibly can and equal and go to the universities. And that, you know, was a little bit too aspirant for the white society. And between the two of them, they were kind of holding each other back. When we both know that the two of them together, you know, why the colleges should have been open. And of course, the vocational trade should have been open as well. Mm -hmm. And they're both very valuable. Du Bois went to Fisk University in in Nashville. And that's where he encountered, because remember, he was from the North. And he Mm -hmm. came down into Tennessee. And that's when he started to realize that there was a real racial struggle for them. And he started he started experiencing all of this that he had not experienced before in his life. So yeah. then after Fisk, he went on to Harvard and he was the first black man to ever receive a PhD. Yeah, yeah. And then he took good. on and then he set up the sociology department at Atlanta University. Exactly. He was a very difficult man to get along with, Du Bois was. He's, he kind of looked down upon the blue collar. And that's why I kind of mentioned that earlier. There was sort of well, you know, that's below you. And it's like, no, it's not below you. It's, you know, they both had a very valuable role. Mm-hmm. You know, I and think- he, well, he also, Du Bois also founded the American Negro Academy. And then he began to develop his ideas about the talented Teth, Tenth. Mm-hmm. The talented, yes, the, yeah, that, yeah. Right. And, and, and the NAACP founded that. Right. He also did that. That's true. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And the National Negro Business League, mm-hmm. which he worked with Booker T. Washington in order to establish. Yeah. But anyway, I don't want to make this all about them. Yeah. The point was, <laughs> though, yeah, they, they, but as much as they fought, they both developed along the same pathways of the vocational and the educational, the classical. Yes, because yeah. Booker T. saw education as a way out. Yes. Of, of poverty mm-hmm. and teaching people how to be productive. And Du Bois saw education that need, it, it, he didn't see the need for that. Mm-mm. He saw the need for classical education and that people should be using their minds and that would make them part of the talented 10th. But the, right. but, but the irony of it is that he's also working with Booker T. Washington, who did not have a classical education. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, they're working against each other, but for each other, and they're both valuable. Yeah, well put. Right. Right. Now, I grew up with a classical education. And I grew up believing that, but kind of that I should get the classical education, it's better. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But my parents were also... What was it? Somebody, somebody in my family said, "You know what? I kind of feel like we are blue collar blue bloods 
because <laughs> yeah. our parents, our parents were so, we have a history in our family of literature and art and writing yeah. and all these other things. And yeah, there's blue blood in our family but a long time ago, but by the same token, we've taken on things that are, we like getting our hands dirty. And we like doing these things. So we kind of have the best of both worlds. My parents didn't want us to grow up thinking that we were better than anybody. And we never were. And so we we got our hands dirty. We got down in the dirt. We did regular labor jobs when we were in high school during the summer. We just took on whatever kind of work we could. If it meant picking berries or working out in the field or doing whatever, we did it. So, um, it's, it's odd that there would not be a compromise on this issue between the two of them. So anyway, for those of you interested, I have put the links to both of those books down in the show notes. It is an interesting middle-class value, isn't it? It kind of is. It really is, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I had had the same kind of thing and none of, neither one of my parents came from a lot of wealth. It wasn't like they came from royalty, but they had that same sort of, you know, that same sort of attitude. Yeah. Hmm. Right. So, yeah, anyway. okay. Now, there you go. Let's so get back to Voked. Yeah. Still getting back to, to what we're talking about, Voked, and getting out a little bit more history. We used to have these things in schools, and then they slowly started going away because around 1984, I think it was, 83, 85, there was a publication of A Nation at Risk. And all of a sudden, people just started going, ah! And that yep. was where people started signing up to teach again. Because remember, if you remember our last, our other episode that we talked about um, how teachers, you know, it was popular, then it wasn't popular to be a teacher. And it, it comes in waves. And right now, it doesn't seem as... The, it, it feels like there's a drought and unless there's a torrential rain pour like there is in California, um, (laughs) it, it, it may be years to recover and how it recovers Lord knows, but they started pulling funding from vocational education. Yeah. And since then there's been a large decrease in funding. And if you've noticed that the shop, classes were starting to go away. And I noticed the wood shop and other classes were taken out. They're not, they were talking about pulling the music classes, orchestras being pulled, art Mm -hmm. classes were being trimmed in the art departments. And the question was why? Well, because they felt and believed that the students needed to be working on their core academics. Well, at first, um, in this state of Oregon, I can at least attest to this, they did it for budget cuts. And they, they would they would consolidate programs or, mm-hmm. or, you know, make things smaller. Like at first, every school had an orchestra. They would make like a bus and two schools, you know, they'd consolidate it. And then like the bus would take kids to another school and, say, you know, like, one school mm-hmm. and then the kids that went to the other school, they take a bus or they'd have the parents meet before school and then they just get rid of the program. And it was a budget thing. And then when it started to be kind of a, 
academic thing is when the standards started hitting, and that was in 2000s. So it was like the 80s, kind of in the 90s, late 80s and through the 90s, it was budgets. And then the 2000s, it was the curriculum based toward academics that got rid of anything that was left that was fun, basically, mm -hmm. and became right. everything became academic. Yeah. Right. And since and since recent times, there's been a huge decrease in funding until CTE and STEM programs began to find their way back into the system. Yes, you're right. That's true. Yeah. And they're not testable. How do you test the arts? And so they want the students, because one of the problems that that schools are having is testing, and so they feel like they need to cram even more time down students' throats rather than give them the free time to actually process the information that they're that they've been asked to digest, and um, they need to have these other things as just an outlet. So when we look at SEL. We need yeah. to bring back the arts. We need to bring back PE and recess, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that way there's, there's just more communal nature to those things yes. that helps with that. And then also with voc ed, you're working, you're, you tend to work with other people and as a team and you kind of cheer each other on. Is that not correct? Oh, well, absolutely. You're, you're doing a process. You're doing a thing. And mm -hmm. so you're not. Well, it takes focus. It takes, yeah, I'm making a project, I'm creating something and that takes a focus and a craft and it's an outlet and it's not just writing on paper again and again. That's, that's two dimensional, mm -hmm. very two dimensional. I mean, think about the activity of doing woodshop versus the two dimensional paper and pen again and again, every class. And it has it's, relevance and there is a definitive yeah. product at the end. And oh yeah, and absolutely. It's not just a paper. There's a definitive product. I mean, how many times or how many ways can you dress up the paper? How many folders can you put on it? It's still the, it's a paper, right? And, and that's I remember not... that when I took home the art, it's like, wow, I made this. Oh, I made that. It may have been crappy, but I made it. <laughs> Some of it I kept. <laughs> it's actually a lot more. It's it's actually a lot more exciting. It is when let's say that yes. somebody comes over to your house and your parents <laughs> say. Do you want to see the birdhouse that Billy built? And they show it. And while it may look as though it had gone through some sort of Tim Burton-esque generation. That's true. Where it's lopsided and everything. They can ooh and awe on it. and You can create whatever stories you want on it. It's a lot better than, do you want to see the A paper that 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 Billy wrote? That's true. No one pulls out that A paper 20 years later. You want to see that A paper that he wrote? No, here, check out what, he, what I made in high school 20 years ago. This is hilarious. Yes. Okay. But the need for academic core subjects, the need for STEM, and the need to achieve a certain level of testing, that's what's been driving the schools lately. It has been, yeah. And it has nothing to do with the students. It has to do with the pressure from politics, the pressure from funding. That's you know, it's perceptual. It's that it's not mm -hmm. real. I know that I know this to be true. I've done the right. research. <laughs> I worked with the kids. Yeah. But we also had a huge dropout rate in 
and the retention, especially around the pandemic, trying to bring kids back, trying to get them into the classroom, um, just re-engagement. And so the effects of vocational ed from what I was able to locate is that they can have over an 87% retention and success rate. <laughs> oh, well, then we can't have that. Get rid of that vocational ad. What the heck? I mean, 87%? I'm, and I'm saying 87% retention and success rate because the students report, That's crazy. 87% of the students report yeah. that everything is better yeah. when they're doing their vocational ed and with the schedule that they have. It makes total sense, kind of, because I remember all the kids that had shop. Mm-hmm. They always came to school for shop. They always talk about, ah, oh, I'm going to shop. I like shop, this shop. They never really liked doing the other classes, expectedly, but they loved shop. And they were always like bragging about their candlesticks or whatever they made. But they, they always did it and they were always digging on it. And they were good. I was always envious and had all my fingers. But. <laughs> <laughs> In Massachusetts, there are findings that the dropout rate is less than 1%. In fact, yeah. it's down closer to 08 to 0.5%, depending on which population center you're assessing. Mm-hmm. And so with vocational ed, you mm-hmm. have, and this is from careerschoolsnow.org, decreased dropout rates, decreased arrests and incarcerations. I wonder why that might be. Increased (laughs) Uh, earning and wage potential, increased high school graduation rates, students still earn a high school diploma, increased likelihood of post-secondary education, whether it's a two- or a four-year college degree, enough credits earned to shorten your freshman year of college if you chose to go. It's not like we don't know. It's an inexpensive alternative (laughs) to receiving a viable skilled trade education because most partner with your school district, you have better preparation with real life skills. You know, they're talking about preparing for the future and getting out there and getting real life job skills. And then they just make you listen to them talk about that instead Mm -hmm. of setting up the programs to have that happen. I've noticed that an awful lot because I bounce in a lot of classrooms. They have these counseling briefings by counselors who talk about counseling and none of them do anything. They just talk about what they're going to talk about kind of, well, we're going to next year, we're going to do this or that. And then I've been around enough of the times to have them be the next year. And they just talk about the next year, but they never do it. And I think to myself, wait a minute, this is interesting. And now I know what it is. There's no programs like the ones we're talking about set up to do what they're talking about doing next year. It's kind of like they're chasing vapor. (laughs) It's interesting. Mm -hmm. And we're taught when we're talking about how, how effective that is 87%. If they would just start doing this sort of thing, the vocational connections and putting in programs like shop, instead of pushing the testing and, and rushing around trying to cram the testing into those little nooks and crannies and the schedules they can, which is what I'm seeing them do. They're really still on the academic. And a lot of them don't know that it doesn't count anymore. That's the interesting thing. It really doesn't. Like in some 
in the state that I work in up here north of Oregon, it doesn't count for graduation requirements in some cases, but they're still testing and the teachers don't know that. And I know that. And I just moved up here. I found that out. It's like, oh, we don't know that. And I went, and I don't say anything because I'm not part of the staff and I don't want to put like a stink bomb in the corner. <laughs> it's like, did you know that that's not, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> it's because this, no, it's not communicated. It's not that people aren't, they're keeping it a secret. It's just not communicated that there's no longer a requirement. It's, it's like, oh my goodness. Okay. For the graduation. I'll tell you this. I know, <laughs> I know enough people who graduated from high school and then um, have a friend. I've mentioned him before. He's a first, he was the first in his family to graduate from university. And he said, my son will graduate from college. And I said, what if he doesn't want to go? He said, that's not an option. Hmm. I said, why not? Hmm. Your son doesn't seem to be all that interested in academics. And he said, that's because he's not getting it. And I said, what, who's not getting what? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> and his son does have a job. It's not a college level field. He's happy in doing what he's doing and he loves it. And that's what that's what's important. If he decides that he wants to go to university and he or he wants to go to trade school or whatever, he's perfectly welcome to do that. Nobody's saying you can't. Sometimes, okay, Portland State University, what's the average age there? 27. Wow. And maybe it's getting higher. I don't know. But if you can and that was 30, 40 years ago, that was the average age. Those are the people who, for whatever reason, were not able to go to school or didn't want to go to school or saw no value in getting another yeah. education beyond their secondary. Or didn't need it. You know, they get right. to a point where you go, well, I want to do this career path and I need a couple of credits or I need a couple of years of college to do it. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do it now. Right. Or maybe they just didn't have money or they weren't sure what they wanted to do. And people still say, well, they should have gone to community college. It's like, why spend money when you don't yeah. need to? Yeah, Unless it's, it's you have a purpose, there's no need to go. Yeah. And we keep telling kids, oh, good. So this is what you're going to do with your life. Did you know you were going to be a teacher when you were in high school? Absolutely not. No okay. clue. So what did you go to college thinking that you were going to get a degree in? A teacher. Absolutely. I knew I was going to be a teacher because I went and when I was 27. And what did you go to college? <laughs> How old were you? 27. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so what did you do when you graduated? I mean, what was your first occupation? Uh, well, I became a paramedic. I started, but I started that when I was 22, 23. So you no, didn't 22. want to go to college and you didn't really have any direction right. in your life. Is that so right? I didn't go to college. Yeah. It, am I, I making the right assumption? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I did not go to college until I was like 23. So you just worked. Yes. Yep. I worked. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so there are so many of our students who are like that though. Yeah. And I, would have gone. I was, I was accepted at Oregon, but I did not go. Mm -hmm. I just didn't, just didn't go, <laughs> which is a good thing. So, yeah. Right. So 
the question that I'm going to ask is, um, what kinds of vocational education are in your area? And I'm asking our, mm -hmm. our audience, yeah. what do you have? I mean, take a look. For example, we, I know that we have community colleges. We have three different systems of community colleges in our area, actually four, and they all have different, some of them double up. They they have a redundancy, so one might have the same program as another one. But we have culinary, we have automotive, we have electrical, we have emergency medical technician. Yes, a, those dental are dental assistant. I believe there's one dental. Assistant. Yes, oh. all of those, and then oh, LPN um, uh, mm -hmm. uh, pre nurses. I can't remember LPN, but not RN. RN's a bachelor. Okay, so if the community college has it, why aren't we doing something in our schools mm -hmm. for students who might want to go into medical or dental? Yeah. And some schools are, but they're creating that space. Now, there was a, I believe it was in Boston, there was a private school in Boston, and it was a private Catholic school with the SAT scores averaging 1605. And they were losing money because as there is more of a dearth of people going into, into the priesthood or into the convent and taking their vows, a lot has to do with the scandals, etc. They're now giving way to lay teachers. And so as a result, instead of not having to pay the tuition in order to sustain all the materials and having some of the monies going into paying the staff who are who are taken care of by the archdiocese now you have to pay a living wage for all the teachers plus your benefits so tuition has skyrocketed and so a lot of people can't afford that they had to figure out what to do and what they decided was they were going to do something medical, and they wanted to create a, a vocational school based around medicine. Well, they ended up partnering with, I'm going to go out on a limb. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Don't crucify me. Mm -hmm. I believe it was Sisters of Mercy, and they were able to get a building, and they were able to start putting together materials and equipment so that the students could learn. So they could start getting their certifications in different forms of working on medical. And that made them almost a magnet school. Now they couldn't get the public funding like the like the regular grants that other schools could get from the Department of Education, but there were still grants out there that would help them do that, but they also had to do fundraising and donations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but in the Boston area and also in Massachusetts, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, they have a test every year. And what they discovered was that the kids were doing very well on the testing in all the vocational schools, because now you have, I'm, I'm, I made a huge leap. I went from that private school. Now we're going into the public sector with the public schools and the public schools in Massachusetts, kids have the option. They have to apply, but they can get in and there are different specialties at different high schools. 
And so the kids can go to these different schools and they can learn whatever trades they have, Hmm. which is fascinating because they are focused in on those skills for those trades. So if you look at the schedule, I'm thinking about one. I don't know how many of them do this, but as an example, a student will come to school one week and they will do all their core academics that week. Then they come back the next week and they are working on their on their vocation. Hmm. Good, good. Yeah. So it's every other week, but it all comes through Perkins grants, comes through Department of Education. After, I believe it's in post-secondary vocational training, the Department of Defense has grants. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And that is through the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. You have the Perkins grants, you have financial aid, Department of Defense grants, private funding, because if you work with the community, you can usually get something going and then they will invest in it, especially if they are an industry that's getting something. So, for example, in Oregon, they're talking about bringing in more chip makers. Yes, makes sense. If those industries started working with students and worked with them on different aspects, that would probably help not only the industry, but it would also help the students because those skills would translate to other things in other parts of the country as well. But I think getting back to what we were talking about in the beginning, (laughs) this difference between classical education and vocational education, Mm -hmm. I keep hearing people who are, they, they classify the college prep kids as the good kids and the voc ed kids as those students. Yeah. And and what needs to happen is, and this is true for all alternative ed too, and that is they are our students. They are not those students. They are not my students. They are our students. They belong to everybody because our students are student are people of the community and they are for the community and they will work in the community. Yes. And so if you have one of those students walk into your house to repair something, that attitude isn't going to work. So we got to get rid of this elitism. I like the blue collar, white collar thing. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, I was raised with that. And it never fit. Yes. And now after I've been an alternative ed teacher, it's like, well, yeah, it never fit because it's not real. Professional white collar is not better than vocational blue collar. We're all valuable folks. And I can't fix things to save my life. And if you can, you are my hero. <laughs> but there are several pe- there are many people with advanced degrees who are in blue collar jobs by choice. That too. And I would, yeah. Yeah. By choice. I happen to do stuff that, well, it's it's not even that, yeah, by choice. It's like they, they can do it, so they do it for money. I can't do it. I can't do it for money, for sure. Yeah, it's for sure. It's just not even a class or a box or a, a way of doing anything, you know, seeing anything. It's it's a valid way of making money and you really should read this book. I mean, it's got case study after case study after case study. It's really interesting. Or you can go onto the Pioneer Institute website. It's out of Boston. They have some podcasts and they have some other information. But 
what is telling to me is the fact that it is serving the community, it's serving the students, it's serving the families. Mm. The kids are far more likely to go on to further their education after high school than not. They have a future. They can start earning money once they graduate because they have the skills and the industry is there waiting for them. So they come job ready. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how do you help your community? You help your community by helping those in there do better. You allow them to succeed. You allow them to gain a foothold, even if it's not something that they're going to do because people change careers two to four times in their life. You're giving them the opportunity to start making money so that they can figure out what it is that they want to do without having a a, a vacant bank account and they have more resources in order to live and they can contribute. And they're good jobs. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have to, get, the kids, they don't have to get a second cruddy job. <laughs> exactly. And I keep yeah. reading about people who do that. Yeah. So, and these are things that they want to do. And maybe they find out once they get out there that they don't want to do those things. Well, they still have those skills and they can still use them. But now they have a better idea of what it is that they do want to do. So like you, Philip, you had no clue what you wanted to do when you graduated. Mm -mm. I had a professor in, in junior college. He said, I really, he loved the older students that came through junior college. He said, he said, because you guys have been out there and had all those really bad jobs and you never want to have them again. You're very motivated. <laughs> exactly. Now, had I been able to do shop class and learn more, I probably would have been more adept at taking care of other things that I wanted to do on the side, like take care of my car, maybe build things. Cause I, you know, I kind of like to do that stuff, but I don't have those skills. And so they're out of my purview. So, um, it would have been handy. It would have been. And would the, have but there was that, um, that, st- that stigma put on it, you know, that that's for the kids who just can't do the work, the smokers and <laughs> stuff. It wasn't, mm-hmm. they just didn't want to, they're kind of true well, to their soul. Now, Let's see. The vast majority of American students still take at least one vocational course during high school. Mm. 50% take the equivalent of one full course each year. And it contradicts the mainstream image of vocational study as an alternative track. I, I don't think it's a, voca- or a track because I don't think there's enough opportunities for it to be you know, right. taken to be a track per se. Right. But if you think about the different kinds of schools that there are, I mean... I know that Boeing has its own high school. Mm, now that, that's an exception. Up in Everett, Washington. And it provides them with really good background in mathematics, but it's also there for engineering. Which and, are big time STEM subjects. So. Right. I'm looking here and a new vocational high school called City Polytechnic High School will allow students to take college courses while still in high school. Mm-hmm. City Poly is the first to offer programs in technical fields. They'll graduate in five years instead of four with the usual high school diploma and an Bingo. associate's degree. Bingo. We talked about that. We like that idea. Right. Aviation High School, founded in 1925, it's known for supplying 12% of all the workers on aircraft worldwide. 
and sending several graduates to high-level engineering programs such as Columbia School of Engineering and Applied Science and Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Ooh. Now that is what you call a good degree. Mm -hmm. High School of Art and Design, founded in 1936, Mm -hmm. had Tony Bennett, Lenny White, Tom Saito, and several others. There's the Urban Assembly New York Harbor School, founded in 2003, known for being the first non-military U.S. organization to be housed on Governor's Island in New York City Harbor since the Mm -hmm. Lenop. The school is also known for sending graduates to Cornell and other prestigious schools, in addition to supplying well-trained workers on New York City's 600-mile waterfront. It has the second certified scuba training program in a high school in the U.S. Oh, that's interesting. Teaching divers. So how many, well, I know that Portland Community College has a marine welding program and underwater welding. Those pay so well. They do. They do. I knew a salvage diver. He's also a Navy EOD guy, too. So we are running out of time. Gosh, I okay. think that we, I think we were able to cover a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. I say yay to Vokey. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody should have some place to land, and opportunities should be offered. They should. And if people want to go to university, they can go to university. If they want to go, if if we can provide them with the skills, because isn't that what we're supposed to be doing is creating a productive and reliable society and citizens. There we go. Yes, we are. And to help everyone achieve their potential at the moment they are in their life. So a lot, there might be blowback because people don't like this non-cookie cutter kind of environment yeah but those are the people that i worry about because they can't see beyond their nose yeah and life's moving forward whether their Mm -hmm. nose is in it or not so exactly yeah okay and it's been good times on on that note philip i will wish you adieu and you as well thank you and to our listeners Please remember to hit that subscribe button. Make sure that you send us a review. Give us a comment. Send us an email, educationaltriage at gmail.com. And we will see you next week. And until then, adios.